know, you have your heart just smashed open, use any metaphor you want, broken, burned to ashes, whatever that, that feeling is. And um, it's catastrophic. But it's made me, it, like I said in the essay, it's made me braver. You know, I've, I've, I've seen the worst. I, you know, I, I, I held my son after he died. I, I sat in the funeral home and, and you know, gave him goodnight hugs and kisses. Um, a little thing that we used to do when he was, when he was little. <laughs> we had a whole song uh, and I, I sang it to him. And I, you know, I, I've, I've seen the worst. And so that just breaks you open. But I think in breaking you open, it makes you, it makes you more sensitive to the sorrows of other people. You know, I don't want to not be that person who's able to feel those sorrows because I think it's, it's like your Ben would have Ben Ben cared about so many people and he cared about the world. And I want to be sensitive to that. Right. So I don't want the, that, vulnerability to get scarred over, if you will, with too much healing. Hello and welcome. My name is Liz Gleason and you're listening to Shapes of Grief. Shapes of Grief is a curation of stories from international guests who share their unique experience of grief. These stories are shared with the wish that you, the listener, may find some comfort, hope and solidarity, and maybe also the realisation that you're not alone in your grief. Each time you listen, please do support the podcast by donating on the website shapesofgrief.com or by becoming a patron on patreon.com. It's a privilege to hold these conversations and I extend my deepest gratitude to all my guests for showing up in this particular way. It truly is a gift. Welcome back to Shapes of Grief. I'm joined today by Carrie Thompson. Carrie, you're very welcome. Thank you. Carrie wrote uh, an article that was recently published in the New York Times, and it's titled The 48 Mountains That Held My Grief. So Carrie, tell us, did you send this article in yourself to the New York Times? Um, No, uh, I actually had posted something on Facebook about the hiking that I've been doing and um, someone from a Facebook group sent some writing to one of the editors for the New York Times and so she reached out to me and said you know hey I'd love to talk about writing something for the newspaper. And to to go to that essential point that you were trying to make Carrie you've had a rough couple of years your beautiful son Ben died by suicide he did July 27th 2019 and uh, you know there's a before life and an afterlife when something like that happens and so you know they the aftermath of losing our son was just catastrophic and so my husband was diagnosed with cancer and then we had a job loss and you know it was just a whole series of of blows and uh, I when hiking, <laughs> I, uh, you know, um, I just found that getting outside and getting on trails was the way to manage all of that and to try to come to some terms with losing our son. And you didn't just go for a walk in the local forest. 
<laughs> you <laughs> you set yourself a task. Um, why hiking? Well, um, Ben was an outside guy, and you know he grew up hiking and snowboarding and um, you know swimming and any time that he could be outside, he would take advantage of it, tubing down rivers and, you know, rafting. Um, he just, he loved camping. <laughs> uh, he loved the outdoors. And he told me once that he felt the most at home in his own skin when he was outside. Um, and I think that was because it, you know, the world was constraining to him a lot. And so being outside was a way to sort of feel like he was freer. Um, and he, um, so, you know, it, the losing him was um, constraining. Grief is, grief is confining. And I think I just found that, you know, getting on a trail was a way to connect with him and also to sort of get away from the constraints that, the expectations and the judgments that we've ran into with losing a son to suicide didn't, you know, you get outside and that, that solitude really was healing um, in a way to manage those experiences and try to make some, make sense of them. When you say that grief is con constraining, would you speak a little bit more about that, Carrie? What do you mean by that constrainment of grief? Um, it's, you know, it's so consuming and it was like getting stuck in a box of expectations that people have for you. You know, like if you're, if you're, um, if you're too happy or you smile, you're not doing it right. And then there's all these sort of expectations around, around loss that uh, were really hard to manage. And I just felt it was like claustrophobic, you know, I, um, I just felt like I couldn't breathe when I was, stuck around people or stuck around, um, stuck inside or stuck at home, too many swirly memories and swirly things going on. And, and, um, I could get outside and just make, make sense of it. But, um, you know, there's people have expectations of you, uh, how you're supposed to deal with it. We were very open with the fact that we lost Ben to suicide and, that resulted in a lot of questions and grief to suicide is less legitimate a lot of times to people. You mentioned that you felt a lot of judgments because of how Ben died. You know, we were open about it. Suicide is, it makes people feel icky, right? Because it, um, it's a choice or it's seen as a choice. They don't see the battle that happens when someone is, is fighting the mental health condition. Um, it's not visible. It's not like a noble cancer thing or like a, you know, there's just, it's, it's a, they, they it's invisible. And, um, and then when you talk about it, the family almost is supposed to be invisible too. You know, when you lose someone to accidents, things like that, old age, people show up with food and um, they, you know, they offer help and assistance and they actually follow through. And then when, when you lose the one like we did, we got, oh, tell us what we can do for you. And then people just didn't, they, they don't want to see it. So you felt um, really abandoned in your loss, Carrie? I mean, we had, we had family that were, you know, people, we had people, they kind of went in two directions and people 
we had people that were rocks for us and did, you know, were checking in and, and letting us talk about Ben and encouraging us to, to honor the really beautiful guy that he was. He was brilliant and he burned bright and he was absolutely beautiful and funny, intelligent. And then we had people that were like, you know, they disappeared. That's painful. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I met a mom who also lost a son to suicide. And um, she told me that, um, what she said, your address book will change after you lose someone. And I didn't really understand what she meant at the time. And what she meant was there are people that you sort of know who are going to drift away because they're, they're just not able. And it's not a really fault of them. You know, it isn't like, it's just people, people have their capacity to handle things and, and sometimes their capacity opens to being able to help. And sometimes their capacity is just, they just don't know what to do. So they, they kind of just, you know, and I don't think they mean to do that. Right. I mean, like, I think they just don't know what to do. And so they do nothing. Yeah. And how do you think, Carrie, your grief, I mean, you talked there a few times about the noble cancer death um, and I know cancer can be very messy and painful for those experiencing it. But how do you think Ben's death to suicide was different than somebody else's death? The battle to stay alive was invisible. The battle to stay alive was invisible. Mm -hmm. Could you see it? At times, um, you know, at, at times. we. I mean, he talked about he thought he was probably bipolar um, a mood disorder. And I think he probably was. Uh, I certainly know that I struggled. I mean, I'm, I have a bipolar mood disorder myself. It's been well controlled for years and years and years, but it took some time to get there. And uh, he had some of those same kind of indicators at times where he just, you know, you could see dysregulation. But for the most part, he was fiercely private about how he felt. And so most people had no idea that there was anything other than this brilliant, happy guy. The monsters that he fought were very hidden, you know. So hidden. So, in fact, just a couple of hours before he died, you were all laughing around a dinner table. Will you tell us about that evening, Carrie? Yeah, I had dinner with him the night that he died. Um, we uh, we went out to dinner with my mom and my younger son, and uh, it was hilarious. Like my mother was trying to fix Ben up with the waitress, our, our server. You know, she kept suggesting that she ask her for her phone number on our check and things like that. And uh, Ben has had a girlfriend, and he was kind of trying to turn her away. But my mom gets these ideas, and so. <laughs> It was just very funny. And there was no hint of darkness right at that moment. You know, uh, we parted with a really long, loving hug. I love you, kiddo. I love you, mom, too. And drove away in his crazy beat up car. And, um, you know, I was expecting to see him the next day. And that night, um, I think he got home and he spiraled down and opened the door to the monsters and couldn't get couldn't get free of them and we lost him and it was utterly our whole life just collapsed in on itself and so you know 
I, I found I need, I wanted to get in touch with him. You know, I wanted to get, I, I, I felt I wanted that connection. And the only place I found that connection was on a trail, on a mountain. You look for them, don't you? When a mother loses a child, her first instinct is to go, where are you? Where is your essence? Mm -hmm. So you took to the trails. But like I, I, I said did. earlier, you didn't just go for a walk in the forest. You decided. Yeah. Um, not long after Ben died, my husband and I were, uh, we went hiking on our way back from dropping our youngest off at college, his first year in college. And so we had kind of, you know, empty nesters, right? Um, and so your child was heading off to college, having just lost a sibling into a yep. brand new life. Oh, Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, my youngest son, talk about grace and courage. He was, you know, he managed that transition. Um, he got counseling at school for a while just to help kind of keep things in perspective. Um, so, yeah, we were on our way home and we just, you know, how can we, how can we try to come to terms with this? And we, we stopped in the Algonquins um, and we hiked uh, Mount Algonquin. We stopped in, I'm sorry, we stopped in the Adirondacks and hiked Mount Algonquin. Which is um, where in the world, Carrie? It's in New York in the Adirondacks. It's the second, I think it's the second highest um, peak in New York. And I don't know, it just, I got up to the top and it's a, you know, long trail. And, um, and I, there was a moment where it just felt like it might be okay. So we got home and probably the next weekend we went and hiked um, Carter Dome, which is in north, northern New Hampshire in the White Mountains and Mount Height. Um, and I think I, I wrote this in the essay that, you know, our, it was just so heavy and we were so sad. And I got to Mount Height and the clouds were open and you look out and see most of the White Mountains, it's a 360-degree gorgeous view. I think one of the best views in the White Mountains. And those were the mountains that we had hiked with the children when they were young, standing there looking out, and I could breathe. You know, I could, I could, it just felt, it didn't, it felt lighter, calmer, that sense of this isn't, there's going to be a future, there's going to, you know, it's going to be okay. And, uh, we scattered some ashes. Uh, I've scattered ashes all the way across the country at this point. But um, so we scattered a little handful of ashes. And, um, and it just, it's like, there was Ben, you know, he was there. And, um, and I, we came down and on our way home, I looked at my husband, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hike all the 48 in memory of Ben. And he went, yeah, you will. And so I did. Um, Profound loss can rock our inner world. It's confusing, life-altering, and often scary. You've probably already figured out that there are no stages of grief. But are there other models, theories, tools, or practices that can help us to navigate the grieving process? To learn more, visit shapesofgrief.com. As Liz says, the more people who are grief-trained, the more supportive and compassionate our society will be. And that will make life so much better for anyone coping with loss and grief. Now, let's get you back to the podcast.
there's tell us a little bit about that process Carrie how did you walk into it and how were you at the end of it um well the New Hampshire 48 is a specific list of the 48 highest mountains in the state of New Hampshire uh, 4,000 footers or higher and so you have this whole list and you can do them in any order um I had hiked many of them with the kids and with my husband before we got to that point. And I decided somehow that a fitting memorial would be starting from zero and hiking them all. So I looked at the list and I, um, you know, we did Carter first. And then um, I think the next weekend we did Flume and Liberty, which are two more. Again, had that sense of, of um, you know, that Ben was there. He had hiked Flume and Liberty with us. Um, when uh, when he was young, and so it was like retracing steps that we had taken with him, um, and uh, you know it was just a matter of hiking the list. And um, you know I did it in the winter. Uh, the first I had hiked in the winter before, but not with this level of dedication. <laughs> um, you know, um, some of them were really difficult and required a lot of effort, and that others of them were easy. I had a lot of anxiety about hiking alone and, you know, cause my husband with the cancer, he couldn't go with me. It was, you know, I had to figure it out. And, um, and grief makes you, most people anxious as well. Your anxiety levels go very high when you're grieving. Yeah. I, I didn't connect that, you know, I just, it was more like what's, you know, being out there alone and if something happens or like if I get lost. So I had to figure out all of those, um, you know, trail finding and certainly in the White Mountains, the trails are pretty well marked in the wintertime. It gets kind of interesting because they're not quite as obvious and you got to figure out where you're going. So, um, you know, it was a lot of hiking skill lessons. Some of them I learned from other people. Some of them I learned through making the mistakes on my own safety things and stuff like that. So started, you know, we, I just, um, I made a couple of friends, uh, on a hiking group that I found. And so I had people to go with at times, but it was just a series of climbing peaks, getting up to the top and sitting there sometimes in silence, sometimes in tears, sometimes just, uh, you know, the, sometimes in peace. And uh, some, of the, some of the hikes were more memorable than others for various reasons. But uh, I think um, hiking was, was my my way to get to a place of peacefulness and a sense of, of healing about this terrible loss that we suffered. And do you feel, Carrie, when you were hiking that it gave you a reprieve from your grief or it helped you to meet your grief or was it a bit of both? Yeah, that's a both question. That's a both answer. Uh, there were days where it was... Um, you know, the hike was just a step and step of nothing but sadness. And it felt, you know, legs felt heavy, the whole, you know, my pack weighed a ton. Um, and then there were other days where I just, you know, frankly felt pretty badass. If you let me say that, um, uh, you know, I climbed granite slides and, and uh, there were places where I felt strong and, and capable. And those were the days, actually, I think some of those days I felt closer to Ben because there were days where I could hear him sort of going, you go mom, 
look at you, you badass, you know? And, um, would he have said that to you, do you think? Oh, he totally would. In fact, he had, uh, you know, he was, he was always more convinced of my capacity and badassery than I ever was. Um, and, uh, you know, we Is had a date. A to- Is that a word, badassery? I think so. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is several Ben words that we, have, we made their way into our family family lexicon. Um, yeah, you know, we had a date to hike Mount Katahdin in Maine. Um, and uh, he was going to, I had my doubts that I could do it. Um, there's a really difficult ascent. And, uh, and then there's a, a knife edge that you scramble across. And it's very thin and very scary and very challenging as a hike. And I had my doubts and Ben was like, you can do it, mom. I'll do it with you. I'll get you across. And so that kind of was my, that was sort of my ultimate goal um, was trying to do that. But in doing so, the 48 became a refuge for me. Um, So yeah, it was, it was managing the grief and coming to terms with it. And overcoming it. I mean, hiking sort of is a metaphor for that. You know, it like you you start up the trail and you're anxious and tense and you're going too fast, and then you kind of have to plod your way through it. Um, there's always a moment for me on every hike where I'm regretting my choices and questioning why I'm out there. <laughs> which you know, why did this happen? Why is this? Why is this so terrible? Um, and then you're at the top and there's a sense of triumph and overcoming it. Um, you know, like, look, I've, I've gotten here. Um, and, uh, and then you get to the view and you're looking out across the rest of the world and there's nobody telling you what to think and nobody telling you how to feel. You just get to feel whatever it is that's going to happen. Um, and that's, you know, that's pretty, that was, that was those moments where the, and those were the moments where I felt Ben, you know, um, I scattered ashes, little teeny handfuls of ashes at every single peak. Um, took a picture of his hat to memorize, like to, you know, commemorate the occasion um, and or the experience. And, um, you know, I have a whole, I have 48 <laughs> hat pictures at every single peak Ben's hat um, on the peak of each one with mm-hmm. some ashes some of his ashes and a yep. photo yep yeah and the memory of it um you know there's some moments that are more etched than others the one I mentioned in the essay Mount Garfield was probably the toughest hike that I had um there's a you're at the base of Garfield Ridge in New Hampshire and uh it's a long slog. You're hiking basically up a stream bed. <laughs> it's wet and dense and difficult. And it was pouring rain. Um, and I was crying with every step because it was just miserable. Second day of a really long um, multi-peak hike that I was doing, camping by myself. Yeah, it was just, a, it was an incredible long effort. And I got close to the top and my body was just, giving up and so I slugged through it and um, I got to the top and I was scattering his ashes like I normally do and I got out his hat and I all of a sudden realized that the clouds had parted 
and there was a just a perfect double rainbow across the the view it was utterly just one of those moments where you just look and you know it's like ben just sitting there going peace bomb look at you you badass (laughs) you know um i love you it's gonna be okay you know i i talk to ben a lot on my on my travels hey dude i miss you and him kind of just saying i got it mom it's gonna be okay yeah. So what was it like getting to the top of Mount Garfield that day? You know, I'm standing there, I'd be draggled, dripping wet. <laughs> you know, my jacket was soaked. I mean, you know, rain gear only does so much. You're going to get wet. I was exhausted, but exhilarated, you know, it's just profound sense of peace at the peak. You've been outside and, you know, that, that feeling of claustrophobia that I felt for the longest time got better over time. I'm just imagining you up there and the rainbows and what you must have been looking out at. Yeah, uh, I like to tell people that the rooftops of the world are the places where it just feels like it makes you feel small, um, but there's a timelessness to it. Mm. Um, and I think I think grief is timeless, right? It like it's never going to go away. I'm going to carry that forever as long as I'm here and in life even when it ends you know Ben Ben was here and he touched us and any life that someone however they die they leave you know they they leave people behind they leave the life that they led the mountains are kind of timeless right they've been there you know since the earth um formed by glaciers and all those things but um they're there and they don't know what I'm trying to say there there's a sense of eternity to it you're out on the rooftop there's something about the perspective as well of being so small on top of these huge mountains and I think you write this in your article that sense of it took all of these mountains to hold what felt like your enormous grief even though on the top of the mountain you're one small little woman the grief you were carrying felt so profound it needed this vast amount of outdoors solidity to hold it for you. Would you say yeah. a bit about that, Carrie? Um, you know, I it was it was like releasing it. Um, it it's it's that sense, like I said, of of uh, you know, uh, there's a release when you're hiking, right? You get to the top, and there's a physical release. It's like a you know, you've you've <laughs> the top and it's all downhill from there uh, when you when you return and um, so you've put in the effort and you've gotten to the top and you're taking in this incredible vista and sometimes it's sucked in and you can't see a thing but you know that you're at the top those experiences even in the cloudy ones it just they're you're letting go of all of these feelings and it just feels like the physical release kind of mirrors the the mental release of letting go of the the loss, and um, and the loss just feels colossal to me. You know, it still does. It's like you know the the world. You know, Ben Ben was destined to do great things. He was so smart and had so many ideas, and uh, and you know, so we didn't just lose the world loss. You know, out there when you're looking out, it's like that huge loss just feels 
the mountains are equal to it. You know, like they can stand it. They can hold all those emotions that feel so all consuming when you're trying to figure them out. I love that image. And so Carrie, you finished the 48 before <laughs> yeah. Ben's first anniversary. Mm -hmm. What did that mean to you? It felt like a, you know, it was, uh, I, the last one that I did was Kerrigan. Um, and Kerrigan is, there's, you can see most of the White Mountains that you've hiked. You can see like most of the 48. Again, it's one of those 360 degree kind of views where you can see it all. And um, I think there's 30 some odd that you can see from that vantage point. Um, and so I'm standing there on the, on the platform. Um, <laughs> I poured out a beer for Ben. <laughs> Um, and uh, I took a picture of his hat and just kind of stood there and you know there's that accomplishment of finishing your 48 um, there's a little patch you can get like you can apply for part of the club and uh, so I was you know I, uh, I, I did get the patch I'm going to put it on his hat but um, there's a sense of accomplishment and, and uh, like I finished my goal but then there was also like a, like I said, that that loss isn't really going to ever go away. But it was like, I don't know, a continuum of, of like, I've, I've accomplished these things and I'm, I'm now capable and I feel strong and I can, you know, that I can carry the grief better. I think, I don't think it, grief doesn't, there's no like, there's no cure. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's never going to go away but you get better at carrying it around, right? It gets, it's like, you know, your backpack gets lighter, the stronger your legs get. Yeah, that sense of, and, and that real sense of connection with, with my son. Um, I think, you know, he would have, he would have gone with me had he been alive and he would have been there cheering me on and being like, yeah, mom. And we'd have had a beer together at the top. It's like, I, I, finished that part of the the um this experience this journey um and then a few days after I did Kerrigan I did go do Mount Katahdin I didn't write about this in the essay because it it just didn't feel um you know you've got a limit on your words <laughs> 1250 words it's hard to talk about all of those things that I did it's probably a whole other essay about Katahdin but um I climbed Mount Katahdin and uh, I did it without stopping, you know, other than just like rest breaks, but I, I didn't, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't, um, you know, I felt strong and I felt capable, like I could handle it. And it's one of those where not only can I handle the hiking now, you know, I, I think nothing now of like, oh, you, that's only 20 miles. Like, hey, let's do that. You know, <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah. you know, a, a 20 mile hike doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I look forward to it. Um, and uh, I'm not intimidated by new experiences. I feel like I'm better at managing the loss. Um, and it's only been 18 months, Carrie. Like yeah. You would consider this still really fresh grief. How are you doing now? I, you know, like you got a sucker punch. <laughs> like, um something will happen and it'll just bring it all right back. You'll read about someone else or 
were talking to me today about Congressman Raskin just in the couple of days. Uh, Congressman Raskin lost his son, Tommy, to suicide a few days ago, a couple of days ago, um, and wrote this profoundly beautiful uh, statement about their son. And it kind of echoed back to um, the sense that we had about our son. And, um, you know, (laughs) I wanted to call him up and be like, let's go hiking. and uh, and just tell them that I I feel I feel that um, so the, and again you know I don't I don't I almost don't want to stop feeling that because it's like I want to I I feel like you know you have your heart just smashed open use any metaphor you want broken burned to ashes whatever that that feeling is and um, it's catastrophic but it's made me it, like I said in the essay it's made me braver. You know, I've, I've, I've seen the worst, you know, I, I, I held my son after he died. I, I sat in the funeral home and, and, you know, gave him goodnight hugs and kisses. Um, a little thing that we used to do when he was, when he was little, (laughs) we had a whole song, uh, and I, I sang it to him and I, you know, I, I've, I've seen the worst. And so that just breaks you open but I think in breaking you open, it makes you it makes you more sensitive to the sorrows of other people. You know, I don't want to not be that person who's able to feel those sorrows because I think it's it's like your Ben would have told, Ben Ben cared about so many people and he cared about the world, and I want to be sensitive to that, right? So I don't want the that vulnerability to get scarred over if you will with too much healing uh, I don't know how to put that any different but um but I'm also a whole lot braver about everything than I was before I've done things you know <laughs> publishing my writing <laughs> sharing my writing with the world like that Ben always told me that I should he's like you're a good writer mom and that was terrifying <laughs> like utterly terrifying and you know I'm doing stuff now that I never would have done like this um, yeah <laughs> podcast what do you um, want to share with the listeners carrie that this isn't our first time meeting <laughs> yeah um yeah it was pretty nerve-wracking the first time that i talked to you um <laughs> and uh, i got a little carried away couldn't stop talking um which is what happens when i get really nervous I just go too hard and too fast and get crazy and then uh, think about it and come back and be like, yeah, okay, we're just going to learn from that. Hiking is a series of lessons. (laughs) Life is a series of lessons. Yeah. Activating and, you know, like I said to you, um, it's still so fresh and still so young, your grief, and it's normal to be activated when you're speaking about Ben. You and I met two days ago and, you were talking 300 miles per hour and I knew I just had to let you, you know, and then afterwards, after an hour and a half, we said, okay, and we'll do it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate the second opportunity. It's, um, I hope that it's got a little better for you. I feel a little calmer today. It is basically, you know, the, the New York Times essay, my first draft was, I don't even remember how many words it was, but it was not 1250. Let's put it that way. You got to get the thoughts 
out. And that's, that's something that hiking, that's something that, that you get on the trails too, right? It's, um, you can figure out what your feelings are because you're, you know, out there by yourself or with mm. a friend who understands, you can identify what your feelings are and kind of put them into your order. And, you know, you can let stuff go. Didn't matter what kind of mood I was in when I was hiking. I could just feel what I felt. And gave you the and space I, for all of that rather than the constraints of day-to-day living and being at work. And it's important to say you took time off work, Harry. You took four I did. months off. I did. Mm-hmm. I took four months off and went hiking. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I work was really hard. I'm a teacher and teaching was kind of an anchor for me at start. You know, it gave me an organization to the day. Uh, but there were, you know, that that judgment that that didn't seem to matter what I did. I got questioned about, you know, I, I called it the pity face. <laughs> you know, the, are you sure you're okay? You, you sure, you know? Like, and, um, and that just got, you know, it was overwhelming at that point. So I decided I, I couldn't figure out what I was feeling and what, whether or not how I felt was because other people were telling me how I should be feeling or whether or not what I felt was really my own real self. And so I just walked away, <laughs> literally, <laughs> just, you know, going to put my boots on and get on a trail or my snowshoes <laughs> and through the winter. Um, and that was, you know, that, that was healing. It was just peaceful and I could figure it out. So what mm-hmm. now, Carrie? You've done the 48. You're 18 months after Ben died. You mentioned your husband has had a cancer diagnosis and a job loss in the family also. What now for you? Well, uh, we moved across the country. I'm in the Seattle area now uh, from New Hampshire. Took this crazy cross-country drive um, with a lot of hiking along the way, camping and hiking. Um, I uh, hiked in Yellowstone and Glacier National Park and lots of places along the way um, and scattered ashes while I did it. Um, but uh, we're in Seattle now and um, my husband's got a new job. Um, he's had a stem cell transplant and is in the... Um, you know, we're kind of through the worst of the recovery phase and he's kind of in a maintenance phase at this point. Um, prognosis, it's not a cure, but it looks pretty good. And we're hoping for years and years to go. Um, I got a new teaching gig and, um, you know, my daughter lives out here, so it's not like we're without family and I've been hiking. <laughs> I've, uh, my husband and I talked about it, um, hiked everything in New Hampshire. I needed some new mountains and the uh, mountains out here are a whole lot taller (laughs) than what I hiked in New Hampshire, but it's a similar thing. You know, you find your trail and get out there and find your way, get some cool scenery along the way. I've, uh, I've through hiked the enchantments, which I thought was one of the most amazing places that I could think of to go. I've done a couple of fire tower hikes out here and some sunrise things. And I'm just, you know, Kind of continuing to explore and try to make sense of this crazy, crazy loss that we suffered. And like I said, you know, um, I feel like I'm, I think I'm going to keep hiking 
you know, lifelong at that point. But um, I'm also thinking about how I can, like doing this, you know, sharing, sharing this story. I want people to know that there's a battle when, when you lose someone to suicide. It's not, it's not like they just up and decide to do that. It's not like they're, it's not, they're not giving up. They're losing a battle that, that is really hard to fight. Depression and mental health conditions are insidious things and the battle's all internal and they might look totally healthy and happy on the outside, but inside they're really, there's a battle going on. There's dragons in there and they're, they're, you know, every bit as, as terrible and ugly as any, as, as other, you know, more visible battles. Mental health is physical health. They're not separate. Yeah. Um, and I want, I want to have that conversation because I think the more that we talk about mental health conditions being not separate than physical health and needing treatment and needing services available, I think that's where I will end up having sort of wanting to have that discussion and wanting to share the story. And it's not just that Ben died by suicide. He lived, you know, he, he's a great guy. Um, I think um, it's important to know that we lost him that way, but it's more important to know, to try to figure out why he felt that he couldn't say something. And also why that was just a part of him. Yeah. A, you know, a minute, two minutes of his life in that, in that final moment. But up until that point, you know, he, he graduated from college and he, he was just, there was so much potential there. And, uh, and so I want to have that conversation. And I also want people to know that um, like your podcast, you know, grief, grief is less is devastating, but it doesn't, it doesn't end there. You know, Ben's story keeps going through me. I like, I told somebody the other day, my heart kind of beats for two people now. <laughs> um, so these experiences, the hiking, the, the talking to people, I'm carrying that around, you know. Um, I just, before meeting you today, I had a call with Megan Reardon Jarvis. And she has a blog, Grief is My Side Hustle. And she does writing groups for people, actually. I thought of you when, when we were speaking but she talks about like in internal family systems, the work of Richard Swartz, we have all these different parts inside us all the time. You know, the very young part, the mature part, the critic, the, you know, we're, we're all the multiplicity of ourselves. We are all made up of all these different parts. And she talks about grief, like when we have a big loss, it's like we have to develop the grief part of us, a whole other part and we learn to grow that part and carry that part around with us as well um which i think is a really useful analogy people think it's about how do i get rid of this when will i feel normal again how do i shave this off my experience um but actually no it's about how do i learn to carry it and make it part of me and yes maybe it'll be in the driving seat for a few months, even a few years, but eventually some other part of me will take back the steering wheel and the grief will become a passenger in this big bus that is me, my mind, my psyche, my body. Yeah, 
that that makes a lot of sense it really does and you know um like I you know my hiking metaphor I guess you know it's like becomes part of your backpack instead of like (laughs) you know you just carry it around with you yeah um yeah and yeah you know I I haven't quite figured out uh, I feel like there's losing Ben a little bit a wake-up call (laughs) sort of you know like that there's I have capacity to do things that I didn't think I did and uh I don't know entirely where that goes, but um, I know that wherever I go, I'm going to take take Ben with me and uh, not just Ben, but my, the rest of my family along with, you know, my daughter's done hiking with me too. I think that the story is, is certainly, you know, there's a lot more chapters to write. Um, yeah. And, whatever and that means. For, thank you for sharing this chapter anyway, Carrie, with us. Um the podcast has around 60 episodes now, I think. And the very first one is actually with my cousin, a man named Jack Gleason. And Jack speaks about the death of his best friend. They were best friends for 40 years, um, closer than either of them were to their partners, you know. But his friend died by suicide. And I suppose there's two themes really in his talking. It's the theme of grief of a friend and where do you fit in you know where where is your place amongst the grievers even though he was probably the closest person ever to the man who died but also the theme of suicide you know losing someone to suicide and it's one of the episodes that's been listened to the most because people who are bereaved by suicide need to hear other people who are bereaved by suicide speak it's not enough just to listen to someone else describe their grief. They need, they need that step further. They need to know, you know, because often um, one of my supervisors says that grief by suicide, you know, when you're grieving because someone has died by suicide, it's like grief with the volume turned right up. Um, you know, it's a, a quite an acute form of grief, if you like, because you've the, the added trauma and shock and, the what ifs, you know, so thank you for being willing to write and speak and do all these things that you've said are way out of your comfort zone in the surface of keeping Ben's memory alive and also normalizing this and taking away some of the taboo that surrounds deaths by suicide. Yeah, it's actually really interesting you say that. Um, two things that I'm just, you know, there, there are connections. Um, my son's best friend has really struggled with losing Ben and they were, they called each other brothers from another mother. You know? yeah. um, well, get and, him on uh, Jack, get him on to episode yeah. one of Shapes of Grief. Yeah. Lifelong, lifelong best friends and yeah. hiking buddies and camping buddies, you know, yeah. um, but, uh, and he's really, it's, um, you know, I, I really feel for him because, and, you know, my children don't remember life before Ben. I was going to say a woman that I met who lost her son, the mom that I talked to, she told me you have to find people that speak the, that speak the language of suicide loss. It is, it's almost its own, it has its own language. I mean, there's a language of grief, but then there's, that makes a lot of sense. Do you mind if I quote you? <laughs> of course not. It's amped up. It is, it's turned up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I'm grateful to you coming on here and sharing your story. Um, I'm sorry about the judgments you've received for doing that along the way, Carrie. Yeah, uh, like I said, you know, I think 
think suicide makes people feel it's just it's it's complicated, right? It's incredibly complicated because the battle's invisible. The 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 loss seems, you know, they talk about suicide being a choice, um, and and ultimately it is. But there's a battle that's lost, and I think the battle needs to be recognized. Yeah, it's hard to talk about, but it's an important conversation. So I appreciate the opportunity to. Um, to come out and I also really appreciate getting a second chance and like to talk to you um you know that that uh I appreciate your your patience not at all not figuring at out all. how to talk about it like I said you've you know you've so much of value to offer and Ben's story is so worth hearing um you've written this beautiful article for the New York Times which I'll link to which Cheryl Strayed read and commented on we have to get that in um, uh, I was so excited. Yeah. I admire her. You know, she's a hiker, right? And um, her whole story sort of started around that. And um, I, I sent her a picture of her. I sn- I screenshotted her, her, her uh, comment, and I sent it to my mom. And my mom was like, "Who's that?" <laughs> anyway, I appreciate that. Yeah. But Shout out. Importantly, for- we do this for all the people listening who are bereaved by suicide and are looking to have their story somewhere. Um, somewhere where they can hear their story and resonate with their story as well. So hopefully some of what you've said today will do that for them. Yeah, they're not alone. They're not alone. They're, they're not alone. I, have, I say this every single time. Um, if someone is thinking about taking their life, please reach out. There are services available. Um, and you matter. You know, Ben matter to us. You matter. So... Yeah. If you're listening and you're and you're considering something, please say something. Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. You take care. Take care, Carrie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Shapes of Grief. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical or psychological advice. And if your grief is making you unwell, please do see your healthcare provider. Once again, please consider supporting the podcast by donating on shapesofgrief.com or becoming a patron on patreon.com. I rely on your support to keep going. The music is performed by Baca Beyond, especially for the Shapes of Grief podcast. Until the next time, from Miles Gleeson, take really good care.